Ruth is my closest friend, and we, we used to sit in synagogue every Saturday unless Ruth was, like, you know, sitting at some other synagogue speaking all over the country. Um, but but whenever, literally whenever Ruth was in town, she was at the SAJ, and I was clearly at the SAJ every Shabbat because my husband was the rabbi. So we sat next to each other and basically talked through the whole service. Now, I w- will say... We did not talk about our clothing or our shoes. We talked about, you know, important issues in the world, but talk we did. Ruth was, at the time, the CEO of the American Jewish World Service, which was deeply, deeply engaged in on-the-ground work in in, um, Africa. And Ruth sort of leaned over to me and said, AJWS is organizing a rally in Washington to protest the genocide. And I said, uh, we'll do New York. Welcome to Season 5 of 76 West, recorded appropriately in an office at the corner of West 76th Street and Amsterdam Avenue in New York City. In past years, you've heard conversations with some of the great thinkers of our time. This season, you're going to hear the voice of one of them, Rabbi Joy Levitt. Sometimes she'll be by herself, sometimes accompanied by the amazing people who helped make the program she shepherded a reality. Joy works, worked, best in collaboration with others. People who pushed her, prodded, who inspired her as much as she inspired them. That's going to be, is, her legacy to the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan. A spirit of positivity, of moving onward and upward, taking a simple idea, a Jewish community center, and elevating it beyond what anyone would use as their definition. On April 28, 2006, a rally took place in Washington, D.C. to urge the Bush administration to take action against genocidal atrocities in the country of Darfur. Leading the charge in this rally was Ruth Messenger and the American Jewish World Service. Rabbi Joy Levitt, then Chief Program Officer at the JCC and one of Ruth Messenger's closest friends, decided the JCC would take the lead in the New York Jewish community and enlisted the help of Sarah K. Lax to organize buses from New York to D.C. In today's episode of 76 West, you'll hear the story of how a single utterance in Temple led to one of the JCC's largest and most successful advocacy efforts to date. I had been at um, American Jewish World Service, I guess, by, for quite a while, about five or six years, and I was pretty comfortable in what we were doing, and we focus on longer-term human rights work as opposed to humanitarian aid and relief. Um, But there was this genocide in Darfur. And the only reason that anybody would know there was a genocide in Darfur at that point is because Nick Kristof wrote about it. First of all, found there was a young man named Brian Steidel who came from a Marine family, did his term in the Marines because of his dad's position, was told, now you get a desk job in the Marines for the next 30 years. He said, no, I like being in the field. He found himself a job doing field reconnaissance in Africa, and he actually saw the genocide. 
He saw towns being burned, and he started taking pictures and making notes, and he brought that to Christophe. And it's hard to believe this, but Brian's pictures were the first time ever that there were photos on the op-ed page in the history of the New York Times. Nick got them published. Nick grabbed this issue. Nick is nothing if not ferocious about the things he's ferocious about. And he basically wrote the same column every six weeks about Darfur for a year. And about halfway through, I was following it. And there was literally this day where I said, wait a minute, it's Africa. It's a genocide. You run a Jewish organization. Jews have lived through a genocide, more or less. And you work in Africa. So what are you doing? I did a Tish program at the SAJ telling them about Darfur and the genocide. And at that program was one of the wealthier members of the SAJ community and her daughter-in-law. And they were moved by what I said, and they summoned me, come to our offices and present. So I did. And the family said, well, what can be done? And I said, well, this is something that's just totally not on anybody's radar, despite Nick Kristoff, so we would have to do something dramatic. And they said, what? And I want to say with absolutely no planning effort in my head whatsoever, just thinking back to my life background, which was about a decade and a half of marches in Washington, I said, well, we have to do a demonstration and march in Washington. This is really a story about what happens when urgency can be articulated by leaders who then get other people to do it. And I have to say that I sat there on that Saturday morning saying, we'll do Darfur, we will organize you know, all of New York, knowing full well that this was going to be Sarah Kay doing this, not Joy Levitt doing this, right? So I went at that point to Sarah. I think I said, we're doing this. Maybe I said, can we do this? Here's Sarah Kay Lacks. So Joy convened all of the rabbis on the Upper West Side um, at West End Synagogue. And we sat, you know, in their big main space. And we had this conversation about what it would be like if each synagogue maybe had a bus, something like that. And somebody said, and maybe it was someone from AGWS, how many people do you think you could bring, like, using this model? And in my head, I'm like, 200? Could we do two? And Joy goes, 5,000 people. And... It was, I have no frame of reference for, for that moment. That is a singular moment in my life career. That was crazy. I, it was so unexpected. And then we basically had to reverse engineer how we were going to get 5,000 people to come. More than a decade of working closely with synagogues meant that we had these built-in partnerships um, and we had a good reputation for competence and for convening and for doing things. We didn't get in their face, but we did the things that they couldn't do individually. And while, you know, every synagogue certainly could have figured out calling a bus company and getting their folks down there, we assumed that role for the community. And I think there was a tremendous amount of gratitude around that. We charged people $30, but I was concerned that that would be too much for teenagers. And so we went to UJA. We got $40,000 
to offset the cost so that all teenagers could go for either free or 10 bucks. I think maybe we charged 10 bucks because, you know, we wanted skin in the game, but, but really minimal. And anyone who wanted to go could go. Synagogues did their own sign-up in those days, I think, as I recall. I don't remember all the logistics, but I think we hit 7,000 and about a hundred, more than 100 buses. We sent everybody in New York who wanted to know anything to the JCC. It was a model of what we mean by organizing at the most nitty-gritty level. It was the first time that I realized what a mirror to the community Joy holds and that people really looked to her and that once she said, have you noticed that there are green signs on every single institution? Have you noticed that we're talking about this, that we're having this conversation? It enabled places like UJA that don't normally fund, you know, African genocide protests to literally write us a check for 40 grand on the spot. And because of, of how much of a North Star Joy was about the consensus in the Jewish community, it enabled us to really speak with, with love and compassion, but also incredible certainty to those people that were calling and saying, why, why is this? Why are you all wearing green bracelets when stuff is happening in Israel or when stuff is happening you know, to the New York City Jews? I mean, there were lots of people who turned up against a genocide in Darfur, but we could physically count body by body across the United States for 25,000 people. You know, I was 27. I was, you know, on a team with Ruth Messenger, I grew up in New York City in the 80s. To me, I was like being on a team with Beyonce. Like, I thought this was the craziest thing that had ever happened. We got George Clooney um, because he was getting interested in human rights. Um, this appealed to him. And his dad, which everybody except me knew, but I didn't know that before, that his dad, Nick Clooney, is a, was a pretty distinguished journalist. We did get Ellie Wiesel to speak, which was extraordinary. Barack Obama spoke. Nobody had a clue who he was. And my favorite story from the rally, I have to back up a little bit. At one point, I got a call from a rabbi I did not know in Portland, Maine. And she said, there's a young man in our congregation who's active in the anti-genocide efforts. And he um, organized, he asked us to sponsor a bus. And we agreed. And the congregation has filled the bus. I said, that's fantastic. She said, no, 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 you don't understand. A man came to the door of the synagogue, and he said, I am from Darfur. You have a bus going to Washington to protest the genocide. There are many Darfuri in the Portland community. We want a, to be on your bus. So she didn't know. I didn't know. I don't know who knew that there were Darfuri refugees living in Portland, Maine. I still have no idea how they got there. But she said to me, we are going to try to raise money for a second bus. I said, we'll pay for the bus. So we gave them the money. They filled the bus with Darfuri. I wanted to find them and, and meet them. So I had some, uh, this young man who I subsequently worked on my staff for years. He was quite amazing. His name is Adam Zuckerman. Adam arranged for the Darfuri bus to park someplace different so that the Darfuri could march. So there was a press tent. So we arranged for the Darfuri to march to the press tent. So I was there. And I said to the press, these are Darfuri refugees. They live in Portland, Maine. They have come to this rally to protest the genocide. I'd like to ask the leader to speak. I'd never met this guy. So he gives this great speech for a few minutes about, about what's happening in Darfur, that they hear from their families, and they're there to protest. And they 
are so, so happy that the Portland Jewish community made it possible for them to come to this rally. And then he turned to the press corps and he said, maybe you didn't know this, but the Jews also had a genocide. I don't think um, we can underestimate this watershed moment in the life of the three of us as individuals, professionally and personally. That, like, I found out something about myself, which is... I'm actually a congregational rabbi, and this is my congregation, and I need direct service. It was so clear to me. From the standpoint of the JCC, this was also a watershed moment because we had always had a kind of three-prong approach to issues that occur in the world. We always saw an important educational role. We often saw an important engagement role, but advocacy, which is what this was, was and remains for the most part principally reserved for those moments when there is consensus in the community. I mean, do you remember, Ruth, when you and me and Nick Kristoff spoke at UJA together on a panel? I mean, it was like everything that happened It is magical and crazy. And there was so, and again, it speaks to the consensus of the moment and how we were all somehow, now it's more common because of COVID, but we everybody synced up in a, in a really unprecedented way. The, the notion that that this organization should step forward had to do, I think, to be honest, both of the reputation it already had and the reputation that it could imagine building. Because if you do something that connects to every synagogue on the West Side, that connects to the bodies from those congregations, and that then announces to the rest of New York, whomever they were, if you actually want to know how to get a bus, by the way, buses are in short supply because Sarah Kay has just taken over the monopoly of every bus in New York, so you better call Sarah Kay. And, and that's what happened, but that, but that helps to put the Myerson JCC on the map. It's not the kind of thing you do all the time, but Joyce Speed just saying, we'll serve breakfast before the Parkland demonstration brought people into this building that wouldn't have come otherwise. And it's not like, and that was not nothing like that kind of organizing effort. People were upset about Parkland. People were going to go demonstrate, and it was all on the west side, so all you had to do was move your us about 20 blocks. But the fact that we opened this building and said, you know, it'll be a 10-minute ceremony, but we want people here, says, sends a message to the broadest community about what the JCC is about. That's Joy Levitt, Ruth Messenger, and Sarah K. Lax. 76 West is a presentation of the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan. The series was produced and edited by me, Eric Winnick. Our theme music was written and performed by Peril Wolf. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out the other seasons of 76 West, available on iTunes, Google Play, and anywhere else podcasts are available. You can also listen to our episodes at mmjccm.org slash 76-west. Please subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. Every little bit helps. Until next time. We'll see you around the neighborhood.